0: Well, I'm Art, it's a joy to serve on staff here at Spruce Grove Alliance Church, and uh, Betty and I wish to extend to you a very happy new year. Um, we just uh, look forward to what God has for us in the new year of 2017. You know, Pastor Scott gave me a beautiful, I, I think it's leather, zippered, I'm sure it's leather, leather. <clears throat> I don't know what that means uh, <laughs> uh it, it's a it's a it's a day timer journal book thing i am not sure if there was a subtle message there that wasn't really out in front about that, but uh, I'm really looking forward to using it i've used it a little bit because you know putting in a few dates ahead we we're, we're we do a little planning around here and um and i'm really looking forward because there's there's scripture verses on almost every page and and uh, just just a really really nice item so uh you know his generosity was just really special to me and um he has one as well i don't know if he got a deal on two of them or what but uh... <laughs> well you know this this is the day that that people make their New Year's resolutions, and they they sometimes state them. I came across a cartoon. Do you know what a, what exactly is a New Year's resolution? Uh, it's a to-do list for the first week of January. <laughs> I like that because uh, the, the rest of the year others tell us what to do, and uh, you know so on. So we're entering another new year, and I'm not a guy that makes and states and publishes New Year's resolutions. If you are, that's okay. We'll, we'll still love you and your follies and foibles. But um, while we may not make and state New Year's resolutions, we sometimes just kind of think about things, and, and then we try to see if maybe some of this stuff will work out. You see, God's word has a fair bit to say about moving ahead in our walk with God. God's word um, is truth. John 17:17 17, 17 says, "Your word is truth." And um, Psalm 1830, which I often use in chatting with people when I'm giving them some, some counsel or just some, some words of encouragement. As for God, His way is perfect. And uh, I love verses like that because they are so encouraging. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, and, and if you would turn with me, please, or your electronic device to the book of Philippians. And um, as, as I was preparing and, and thinking, you know, when I pre- set about to prepare messages, I do a pile of thinking. And uh, I've got a 25-minute drive, between home and the church, and I, I do a lot of thinking as I as I drive. And uh, several weeks ago, uh, Pastor Scott asked me if I would speak this morning, and so I, I started to started to think about what I would share. and And the passage that came to my mind just so strongly is this passage in Philippians chapter three. And then I got. Then I got thinking, you know, uh, it wasn't all that long ago, probably what, the last six months or so, Pastor Scott, that we, we took a, su- a study series through the book of Philippians. And I thought, I'm wondering if, if, if he preached on this passage or if I didn't, I couldn't really remember and I didn't go back in, in my notes and look, but now with this new day timer, it'll be so much easier to keep track of things like that. <laughs> I guess I have to write in it, don't I? <laughs> Philippians chapter 3. Uh, would you would you follow with me, please, as I read this morning? I'm going to read down to um, the end of verse uh, 15. I'm reading from the New King James Scripture version. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the... Mutilation. Now, we won't go on to that this morning because that's basically dealing with cults and, and their twisted views of, of spirituality. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Hmm. There's a pretty powerful verse, isn't it? Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks He may have confidence in the flesh. I more so, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's just stop there. Let's pray together, please. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, as we consider your word this morning, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to process, will, mind, all of our faculties, that we would be sensitive to the working, the leading, the guiding and directing of your Holy Spirit. Help us, God, to receive your word with joy. Receive it as coming from you, not from a man. But, God, that the words that I would speak, I would be obedient to your nudging. And, Father, that you would help us today to celebrate you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I mentioned that I had this verse come to my mind, and it was so strongly laid in my heart and <clears throat> I worked diligently to to prepare this message and Then just yesterday morning, uh, I was just thinking about it, I was at home, and I was just thinking about it, and, and it just seemed to kind of all fall apart for me it just it just seemed to be just wrong and and yet i i I argued with myself and I argued with whomever was if the enemy was bugging me or what was going on, I don't know really, but I struggled. And then I just kind of settled, and I said, no, this is the verse that that God gave me a few days ago, and I'm going to pursue it, and um, maybe it's for me. You know, it's sometimes said that the, the preacher preaches more to himself or herself than to the audience at times, because, you know, in reality... Uh, We put a a lot more time into this than it takes to deliver the message. And, of course, in putting in that time, and like I said, I do a lot of thinking, and in putting in that time, then God processes things in my own life. And maybe this message is for me this morning, and if the rest of you want to just listen along and and, and just, just indulge me, well, that would be quite fine. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, you know, is writing a very love-filled letter from the depths of his heart to a dearly loved church. The other letters that Paul writes to the churches sometimes deal with issues that he speaks very strongly and he comes down on them very strongly and, and gets after them for their behavior, the things that they're neglecting to do and the things that they are doing that they ought not to be doing. But it's different in the book of Philippians. First of all, he opens the letter in chapter 1 <clears throat> and, and verse 4 by encouraging them to partake of Christ. Now, we've just come through the Christmas season, <laughs> and I'm sure we've done a lot of partaking of all kinds of good food and delicacies and, and, and goodies and so on. But you see, if I was to be invited to your home and I came and, 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 and sat down at your table and you had prepared this, this lovely meal and I just sat there with my hands in my lap and just a kind of a little bit of a smile on my face and wouldn't take any of the food, you would say, what's going on with you? I invited you to come here and eat. And all you're doing is sitting there just, just, just looking pretty. No, all right, never mind. Paul is saying to the Philippians, listen, friends, partake of Christ. Get into the food, you know, load your plate up and enjoy it and, 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 and dig in. After saying that he's thankful for them and praying for them, he encourages them in chapter 1, verse 4, be confident in this. And friends, today, may I say it again, be confident, friends, in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We are in process. Realize that, that we are in process, so partake of Christ. He goes on next to affirm them that they are people of Christ. Verse 9, this is my prayer, that your love and spiritual discernment may grow and deepen and your lives be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. He said, you are people of Christ, so therefore live it, act it, live it out. Verse 27, he affirms them, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, you know, the danger, friends, for, for us as, as believers, the danger is that we can come together in a room like this, we can come together in someone's home for a Bible study, we can click on a, 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 somebody preaching God's word on our TV or, or our electronic device and we can engage ourselves for a little few moments, and then we kind of shut off life, and we go ahead and we move into a different realm of life, as though nothing ever happened over there, that nothing really mattered there, and we just go and we move into a different different zone of life. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, the third thing that he admonishes them to do is, is pursue Christ. Be sure to pursue Christ. A little phrase that I probably knew in essence, but since coming on staff here with Pastor Scott and hearing, and he, he says this every now and again, and it's kind of a Scottism. Follow hard after God. And, and, and he means it. He means it in his life. He means it in my life. He means it in those around him that we would follow hard after God. Now, pursuing Christ is where I want to land for a little while this morning, if you'll just bear with me. The reality of life is spelled out by Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. He says, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, today starts a new series of preaching here at, at our church. Next Sunday, Pastor Scott will be launching a new message series on the book of 2 Corinthians, and I'm really looking forward to this because there's so much good stuff that Paul has to say to the Corinthians in, in, uh, in his second letter. As we move ahead in life, the reality is that our outward man is deteriorating. If you don't think so, just have a closer look in the mirror. We are deteriorating. We're not getting better. So as the outward is deteriorating, may I just say, get better for God. Let's get better for God internally. Henry Longfellow was on in years, and his hair was white, and, but he remained quite a vigorous man. And when someone asked him the secret of his vitality, Longfellow pointed to an apple tree in bloom, and he said, That tree is very old, but I have never seen prettier blossoms than it now bears. The tree grows new wood each year. Like the apple tree... I try to grow a little new wood every year. He went on to say, Worn Bibles, prayer according to God's will, and trusting Him in all circumstances are characteristic of Christians who are growing new wood. Well, this is God's design for His children, and all the, though the years take the toll on our bodies, our souls have the capacity for unending renewal. Our souls have the capacity given by God, and that's God's gift, it's God's design, it's God's purpose, it's God's plan, that we have spiritual growth and renewal, even though our bodies are failing and falling apart. Through life's experiences, narrow attitudes can broaden into greater understanding if we allow them to, as we allow God to work in our lives. Now, the text verses that I read this morning, I want to take us back to those because uh, that's where I want to land for a little while. Philippians chapter 3, the last half of verse 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul says this, But one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the heavenly prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now you see there's three parts there. You notice there's three three parts in that verse, but they're under one umbrella, they're under one package, so to speak. They're three in one, and that is forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, and number three, pressing on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is urging us, he's encouraging us. He's motivating us to grow new wood in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, press on, grow new wood. He longed to know Christ increasingly, not in theory, but in reality. We've got two wonderful musicians up here this morning. One played the violin, one played the piano. I'm not sure if there's theory over here. But there is theory over there. I don't have a clue about drumming. There's theory? All right. Well, you told me. I'll accept it. I'll grow new wood. But you see, if all they did over here is just focus on theory, we wouldn't enjoy the beautiful music that comes out of these instruments. If all it happens in our lives, friends, is that we just plug our head with theory, we won't live a satisfied life, and we won't really be any encouragement to those around us. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. Now if you go back into the original language of the Bible, of the New Testament, that word garbage is a very, very strong word, and I won't go there right now. But you see, he was talking about his physical, academic, and religious heritage. How often don't we find individuals who explain their goodness and their personal righteousness by referring to their godly family members. I have a picture that hangs on the wall, a vintage picture of my grandfather in the office here. If you want to come down to the office and see it, you're welcome to it, because I I hold the man in a very, very high regard. He was a godly man, my grandfather. It was accredited to him that he started the first Swedish Baptist church in Alberta, so there's there's a heritage there. I did not know him very well at all because I was just a young boy when he passed away. And then my dad, also a godly man, we moved as a family into the far north of Alberta to a town called High Level Alberta in the 19, early 1960s. And my dad was very instrumental in starting the first evangelical church there in that community. And you see, sometimes we can look back on, on, our, on our godly family members and, and it gives us some bragging rights, and we say, well, I, I am what I am today, you see, and, and I, I hold this, I, I've got this, this family heritage, and, and that's really special. A, a godly spouse, Betty reminded me at breakfast this morning, I think it was at breakfast this morning, that 46th, this is our 46th New Year together. And, and, and I, I consider that very, very special, and it's important to me. Or, or we would hold our godly friends, and, 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 and maybe we would hold the religious rituals and the religious ceremonies that we do. We hold them very, very dearly. He's saying that goodness and righteousness are not found in social or religious status. We're not more acceptable to Christ... Because we belong to some upper class elite group, or because we are part of a dynamic church that has wonderful music and and, and wonderful worship we 're not more acceptable to Christ because of those things. Paul says, "I counted all but loss. Now let me just qualify this a little bit <clears throat> because you see if we have a list of things if we have." Our, 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 our treasure box of, of, of good things that we hold, and that determines our spirituality alone. There's some error there. There's many, many good things. I hold my grandfather in high esteem. I hold my father in high esteem. I hold my wife in high esteem. I hold my wonderful friends around me in high esteem. I hold Pastor Scott and the team that I work with in high esteem. But friends, today that is not the primary thing where my spirituality lies. They're wonderful things, and I won't put them off for a moment. They are wonderful things. Paul says, I count all but loss. Well, let's talk about these three parts. Number one, Paul says he is forgetting what lies behind. He will never glory in his fleshly achievements and use them as an excuse to relax. Oh, he had a list of achievements. There's nothing wrong with recalling good things from the past. But if we use them as a wall of fame of god running accomplishments, we're in, in, in error. If we've got a wall of fame of accomplishments, and we stand back and we look at our wall of fame, and you say, well, that's where I am. There, there's where my achievements are. There's where my accomplishments are. No, we're in error. And I believe that's what Paul is talking about when he says we have to forget what lies behind On May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister ran a mile in three minutes, 59 seconds and four-tenths of a second. Setting history. On June 21st, the same year, John Landry ran the same distance in 3.58. On August 7th, the two met again, and Landry was leading and glanced back to see where Bannister was, and that glance cost him dearly As Bannister finished the race in 3.58.8, Landry's time was 3.59.6. He would have run the race, but he looked back. He looked back to the champion. He looked back to the man who had set the pace as far as the mile was concerned in the race. It cost him. Bible commentator William Barclay said in the Christian life, there is no room for a person who desires to rest on his laurels. The metaphor of a race does not represent salvation, friends. It represents sanctification. It represents day-to-day life experiences. In other words, we would say that those who enter the race are believers who are called to spiritual maturity. We've come to faith in Christ, and now we move on to spiritual maturity. And don't get me wrong, friends. It's important... That we come to the point of recognizing, A, our our sinfulness. We need to admit our sinfulness. B, we need to believe what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross, taking the punishment for us. And we need to make a deliberate choice to know him as our Savior. We need to be born. We need to be born spiritually. We need to trust Christ as our Savior. Many, many, many of us here this morning are parents when that little baby was born, we're not just content with the fact that the baby is born and lying there. We want that baby to grow. We want that baby to, to, to mature. And we're so excited when they take their first step and we click a photo and, and, and a video and send it off to grandma and, and everybody's excited because the baby's taking her first steps. Then she gets her teeth and she does all kinds of stuff. It's a growth process, growth process, growth process. Until the day we, with great admiration are part of the ceremony where she wears that flat hat and graduates. She's moving on. She's moving on. Paul goes on to say in verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. He knew he could not attain perfection, but notice what he says in verse 12. I want to take hold of that one thing for the same reason that Christ took hold of me. Friends, today, Christ took hold of you. If you know Christ is your Savior today, Christ took hold of you to bring him glory. Christ took hold of you to be encouraged to go and preach the gospel as we read in Mark and Matthew's gospels. Christ took hold of you to proclaim his kingdom. So Paul is saying, I want to take hold of that very thing for which Christ took hold of me. I want to be the man of God that he wants me to be. So that out of that being, I can do the things that he wants me to do. Let's not get those mixed up. Let's not try to do so that we become. Let's become, and out of our... Becoming, we do. It's so critical. Well, forgetting involves three things. Number one, I believe that we have to admit our life circumstances. We make a confession about our past. We confess the good, we confess the bad. You see, a confession is just acknowledging, it's admitting something. We might have that Hall of Fame of Faith, as I spoke about a little bit earlier. We might have a long line of Christian heritage. We might have great many Christian ministry experiences. We might have a resume of righteousness, our Hall of Fame of Faith. So we look at that, we acknowledge it, we admit that, yeah, this is where I am. It's not necessary to publish them on Facebook. It's not necessary that we, 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 we tell. Sometimes it's just within the context of our own mind. We take a look at where we are. We admit life circumstances. Now, on the other hand, maybe we've got a hall of shame of foibles that we have to admit that they're there. We've dipped into activities of the world that we know full well. We've got no business doing that. We've done things we ought not to do. we've missed things that we ought to do. We've made bad choices, and it's hurt us financially. We've made bad choices, and it's hurt us in relationships. So we take a look. We admit our life circumstances. And I believe it's important to admit them to God and then to admit them to myself. I've met people in my life that say, well, I I can't forgive myself. Yeah, you can, but it's got to be with God's help. It's got to be with His direction and His guidance. But we admit our circumstances. That's part of forgetting. Secondly, we accept our past. We admit our past, and then we accept our past. Friends, today I believe there's people, and there might be somebody here this morning, that you're living in denial You might be here this morning, and as I said, maybe this is speaking to me as well. As I'm not separating myself from you. Might be living in a bubble of arrogance. You might uh, have the feeling that you're pretty good. You're pretty good based on all the things that you are and have done and so on. Paul cites his list of fame. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Huh, what a list. Pretty impressive hall of fame of faith. And he's saying, I need to forget it. I need to forget it. A third part of forgetting is asking for Forgiveness. First John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, Pastor, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't run with girls that do. But you know, maybe there's something there that you need to ask forgiveness. And you know, when you come before God, He is never too busy. He's never preoccupied. He's never way beyond our reach. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. You say, "Well, I'm pretty good. <laughs> you see, I, I, I don't have a list of things that I need to check off. that sin, that sin, that sin. Maybe you need to confess the sin of self-righteousness. Huh? Never thought of that. Then forget the past. Forget the past. You say, but there's good things in my past. Oh, I know, and I'm not saying that you write those off. I'm saying that we deal with them appropriately and we handle them in proper manner, but we don't ride on the laurels of the wonderful things that we've done to determine our spirituality. Forget the past is the first one. The second one that he talks about is reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You see the reality of reaching forward is largely a matter of purpose and the passion for which we seek that purpose. He might well as, might as well have said, "I know what I want, I want more of Jesus, I want his fullness in the operation of my life he didn 't put that in so many words in his letter, but he may as well have because that 's really what he was saying. I know what I want. I want to follow hard after God. That's what I want. And number three, I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. He sought hard after God's purpose, the purpose that God laid on him, the purpose that God chose him and laid out for him. Not Paul's perfection, not Paul's purpose, Not Paul's idea of perfection, but rather God's perfection, and he wanted to follow hard after God's perfection in his life. God's perfection in us is to live out the life that he intended for us. And the more we follow hard after him, the more we understand what that plan is, the more we understand what that aim is. And God's perfection is his plan being worked out in the life of the obedient believer. When Christ saved Paul on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9, it was just the beginning. (laughs) It wasn't the end. There were so many things that were going to be coming ahead for Paul. He had been saved to live for Christ and to work for Christ. That was God's plan. That was the reason God chose him and laid out his plan for him. His passion was as long as he was on the earth, he would follow hard after Christ. Now the words press toward the goal are in our text. And that means the the, the definition of the Greek word, pursue like a runner in a race. There's no room for complacency. There's no room for lethargy and relaxing and laxing back in, in comfort. William Barclay puts it this way. There's no doubt here that Paul is speaking to antinomians. Now, when I read that in Barclay's commentary, I thought, what in the world is an antinomian? I I don't know what that is. So I dug a little deeper. Those were people who believed that no matter what they did, God's grace would cover their behavior. Sometimes we've said it's greasy grace. I'm just going to go ahead and live my life. I'm going to live it this way, that way, upside down, side whatever, and God's grace is going to cover me, so it's no, there's, there's no problem. I can do what I like. No, that's, that's not what Paul is saying, and that's not what the Word of God is saying. Paul is insisting that the Christian life is that of an athlete pressing on to a goal that is always in front. He saw himself and he saw the Christians as an athlete of Christ who was pressing ahead, pressing toward the ribbon at the end of the race. Now, as I wrap up this morning, I want to leave you with some comments from another Bible commentator, a guy by the name of Alexander McLaren. Mr. McLaren lived from 1826 to 1910. And uh, listen as I share these four things this morning. First, let's make God's aim our aim. You see, so often in life, we set out a chart and chart a course as to how it's going to fit us. Now, God, bless my plans. I don't know about you, but I've I've done that. I've made plans that say, okay, God, (laughs) I've thought this through. I've, I've maybe even made some kind of investments, financial or time or otherwise. Now, God, it's your obligation to bless my plans. No. Let's make God's aim our aim. Let's find out first what his aim is. And then we follow hard after him. Paul distinguishes here between the mark and the prize. And sometimes we read over this very quickly and we don't necessarily get the impact. You see, he aims at the one for the sake of the other. He aims at the mark, which is the ribbon that the runner hits with his chest or her chest. As they come down the track, they hit the ribbon and they've been pressing hard for that mark. But the prize may not come till several days or even weeks later at the celebration dinner. You see, the runner is out there with his tracksuit on and his his running shoes or cleats or whatever he's wearing, and he's pressing hard down the track for the mark. But when it comes time to receive the prize, everybody's in their finest and tuxedos and the prizes are awarded. At the end of a sports season, the big celebration dinners and events that go on, that's where the prizes are handed out. Paul took God's purpose in calling and Christ's purpose in redeeming him as being his great object in life. God's aims and Paul's aims were identical because Paul sought to follow hard after God's aims, not his own. And some of those personal aims is, I believe what he said when he said, forgetting the past. I need to forget my own personal aims and press hard toward God's aims. So we begin the new year of 2017, and I would encourage us to honestly ask ourselves, what am I living for? What is my aim in life? Is my aim in life looking to God for His aim first and then following hard after that? Or is my aim in life just taking care of me and the things that I want? So let's make God's aim our aim. Well, secondly, let's concentrate all of our effort on this one aim. Paul said, one thing I do. One thing I do, I press toward the mark. That aim is the one that God has in view of all circumstances and arrangements Oh yeah, we got to care for the mundane, we, got to, we we got to pay the bills, you know, we got to gas the car up, we got to do all these, all these mundane things. But in all of them, may we be seeking for the one thing, the molding of our characters into the shape of pleasing God. Thirdly, let's pursue this aim with a wise and healthy forgetfulness. Pursue this aim with a wise and healthy forgetfulness. You see, certain things in life are worth forgetting because they're just not all that important. And may those things that are worth remembering be things that build us stronger in our relationship with Christ, not stronger in our self-righteousness, not stronger in our hall of fame of my success. Someone wrote, So I would say, let us remember and yet forget our past failures and faults. Let us remember them in order that the remembrance may cultivate in us a wise chastening of our self-confidence. Hmm. Never let the past limit your hopes of the possibilities and your confidence in the certainties and victories of the future. This person goes on to say, in like manner, I would say, remember and yet forget past successes and achievements Remember them for thankfulness. Remember them for hope. Remember them for counsel and instruction. But forget them when they tend to make us fancy that little more remains to be done. And forget them when they tend to make us think that such and such things are our line of other virtues and graces and achievements of culture and of character. Well, lastly, pursue this aim with a wise, eager passion to reach forward. What is it that gives an element of nobleness to the lives of great idealists? What is it that pushes them on? For some, they push on because they are looking to establish a personal glory list. They're looking to establish a hall of fame of personal ideology so, dear friends, make God's aim your aim. Concentrate your life's effort upon it and pursue it with wise forgetfulness. Pursue it with an eager confidence. Pursue it with anticipation that you will not be put to shame because Paul said, remember this, he that began a good work in you will, will finish it, will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ's return. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In 1977, Betty and I and our little family were living in Williams Lake, British Columbia. We were out there to to help in the development of a new church. I was serving as an associate pastor uh, I, I worked at a job in a hardware store so that we could afford to pay the bills, and, and and I volunteered in the pastoral role. Downstairs in the hardware store was a section of the store that was a separate business. There was a man, these two guys were friends, and the business was established downstairs as a key shop. And you could go there and get your key cut and buy your padlocks and all that kind of st- stuff 1977, this fellow was telling us one day in in the coffee room, he said, there's a lady here in Williams Lake, B.C. that has hired me to secure her silver room in her house. Her silver room. That's where the silver teapot and that's where the silver cutlery and whatever else she had that was silver was kept in this room. Friends, she spent $10,000 to secure her silver room. What a waste. What a waste. There's some things, friends, I believe with all my heart that we need to forget. There's some things that we need to get rid of. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, that's a nice, nice message, but I don't need that. I'm way above that. Uh, my my righteousness is way above that kind of stuff. You know, why can't the guy preach something with some meat in it? Your your self-righteousness is is up there and it has a bit of a smell to it. Maybe you're here today and a name would cross your mind that somebody that you need to forgive. Maybe there's somebody that you're holding somewhat of a grudge. You're... you're, you're You've had a grievance back someplace. Oh, and you remember it. You say, well, why did he do that? Why did he have to mention that this morning? I was, I kind of, that was kind of gone, but now he brings it back. So here that, that person. I remember what he did. You know what? I could tell you, why don't you sit down with coffee sometime and I'll tell you all the things that this guy did to me. No. Paul said, forget those things. Because you see, as long as those things are occupying our valuable mind space, our valuable spirit space, our valuable energy space, it squeezes out the goodness that God wants us to bathe in Him. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If the Word of God is speaking to your heart this morning, dear friend, I pray that you would deal deal with it what in your in your own way and as as we close out the service this morning i want to invite you to come uh, pastor scott is here i'm here others of our prayer team that would be happy to sit beside you and 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 listen to you and pray with you because you know it's important that we do business it's important that we and you say well this is nice cuz it's the first day of a new year and it's kind of the new broom sweeps clean kind of thing kind of starting over for 2017 well maybe it is but maybe that's okay but are you here this morning that you need to forget something my uncle used to say let's write it on the chimney and let it go up with the smoke we 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 need to forget something we need to say God, I'm going to follow hard after you in 2017. I'm going to work toward the mark. I'm going to head for that ribbon with all my energy. And I know that one day there's a prize for me that is waiting in heaven. And one day you are going to give me that prize and I'm going to take it and I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to lay it at your feet because you are the one that deserves it. Where are you at, dear friend, this morning? Don't go through 2017 carrying a bunch of garbage. It's too hard. It's not worth it. Go into this new year fresh and clean and you can follow hard after that call of God in your life. Dear God, this morning as we come before you, we come before you so little, we come before you so insignificant and you are so big and yet, we can follow hard after you. We can follow hard. We can, we can run with all of our energy, the race that is laid before us, because you are the author and finisher of our faith. And we can trust you this morning, God. We can rest in you. We can enjoy you. We can bathe in your beauty. Because you love us. You love us. Jesus, you said, Come. Come to me, all you that are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Perhaps there's somebody here today that's not resting. Perhaps there's somebody that's struggling, struggling with, with, with a past that is haunting them. And they just day by day by day, they live with this thing that hangs over them. Oh, Father, I pray that today they would come, that today would be the day that they would cast it onto you, that they would say, I want to I give it up and I want I fresh, a fresh approach to the race. Oh God, do your beautiful work, we pray. We give you thanks for your love and care. In Jesus' name, amen.